the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch, editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. I hope I find you all in good form. We're excited today to be bringing you an exclusive interview with Sir Dave Brailsford, a long-time friend of the pod and better known as the principal of Team Your Cycling. Dave is well known, of course, for his work in masterminding seven Tour de France victories for Team Sky, which became Team Ineos this year, for the last of those victories. When Dave talks, people who work in high performance tend to listen, and he's always popular at our P8 summits too, which we hold once or twice a year for senior leaders in sports, such as GMs, sporting directors and head coaches. The last P8 took place at Twickenham Stadium here in London in November, when Dave gave the room a presentation. The presentation revolved around Elliot Kipchoge's successful attempt to run a sub-two-hour marathon as part of the Ineos 159 Challenge back in October. You're about to hear about much of that presentation, because my colleague James caught up with Dave the very next day, back at Twickenham for the Leader Sport Performance Summit. They sat in the stands and had to deal with the sound of the lawnmowers, whatever it was, as Dave explained in great detail how the Ineos 159 Challenge came to life. Oh, and a quick aside, remember, if you're a Leaders Performance Institute member, you can watch all the videos from both days of the summit at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Right, back to the sub two hour marathon. All in all, Dave tells us that 29 courses were considered and he employed people to look at things such as weather, topography and altitude. He also discusses those lasers that Kipchoge and his pacemakers followed, as well as those Nike Zumex running shoes which everyone was talking about of equal significance, I would say, were Dave's efforts to get everyone pulling in the same direction, helping each and every one of those involved to forge a personal connection to the mission at hand. Anyway, Dave has not previously spoken publicly on the challenge, so we hope you'll enjoy the next 45 minutes or so. Sir Dave Brailsford, uh, a stalwart of the Leaders Performance Podcast (laughs) now. Thank you so much for being with us here again in the um, beautiful sunshine, but I would say distracting noise of um, the interior of Twickenham Stadium. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. Nice to be Whoa, here. Whoa, there's some sort of dynamite there. Um, Dave, yesterday you were involved, as you often are, in our elite meeting of high-performance um, practitioners, the mm-hmm. P8, we call yeah. it. Um, and you did a little turn for us yesterday. It's not, it's not every time that you do a turn. No, no. Um, but you stepped up yesterday and you talked the group through a fascinating project that you mm. have been involved with this year. A little, little departure for you. Yeah. 159. Yeah. Tell us about it. What, what, okay, I mean, I know there's, there's lots to talk about, yeah. but I guess the first thing to say, you masterminded an effort which smashed the two-hour barrier in a marathon run. Well, I was certainly um, I was the CEO of the project, um, and it was a fascinating project. There's no doubt about it. It was an opportunity um, from a personal point of view. You know, it's always <clears throat> it's always interesting to look at other sports, and you think, you know, we've been successful in our own sport with some of the philosophies or approaches or theories or methods, you know, cross pollinate into other sports and other areas, and. Um, so when I was uh, when I joined Ineos, um, Jim and uh, his team had um, embarked on uh, this project to try and um, break the two-hour record with Kipchoge and his team. And um, then I got asked to um, to oversee it. And for, so from a personal point of view, I was saying I think it was an opportunity to a look at uh, doing something in a, in a different sport in a different uh, environment, and b. Um, rather than being something where it's a competition or a race, we, we normally race and win a, 
win a race or win medals or win something. This was more about a, a human sort of landmark. So it um, it really chimed, and it was like a first, you know, the first you're only going to get done once. And um, so that, that I find that quite appealing, really. So I uh, did a bit, did an audit of the um, of the project, and of course. Um, so this was in sort of April May when yeah, you'd just yeah. been sort of brought on board with Ineos. Yeah. Jim yeah. approaches you, says, Dave, we've got this cooking, want yeah. you to be involved. And yeah. you say, yes, please, immediately, or you've got some conditions yeah, for so I, think, I think I think first and foremost, it's a question of just um, auditing the kind of where we're at and um, how's the project looking and how could it be, um, you know, maybe giving some um, recommendations, if you like, about how it could be uh, approached. And um, the interesting thing about this particular event, when you break it down, of course, is that uh, you've got an athlete of his generation in, in Kipchoge. I mean, amazing guy, amazing athlete. And um, wow, if, uh, you know, he deserves every accolade he gets because he is he's something else. He's truly world-class. Um, but um, off the back of that, um, you then got this uh, quite interesting uh, scenario where there wasn't a given event, it's a given time where you turn up to perform. Basically, the course was wherever you wanted it to be, so um, you had to create the event. So it was, it was um, very much, you know, it's a total blank sheet of paper in terms of, we know that, we kind of knew that we wanted to try and create a, a, a first, do this first record and have a, an, a try and make an iconic event uh, wrapped around it. <coughs> so we set out to, um, to think about what that could look like and, um, and first things first, as you always would, you know, you look at the, the coaching environment and the coaching relationship around the athlete and again that with Patrick Sang and, and Valentine uh, True over at uh, GSK, the, the GSC the, the agents who look after and manage the, the group there and, and Jos Hermans who is uh, the director and the um, an, an ex-hour record holder himself I mean they had a fantastic little team there um, around the sort of around the athlete I think what well, maybe we we brought to the part of this idea that um, you know to really Take it, take it on, and make it performance-led, and performance-first, and um, work closely with the whoever's going to, you know, put on the uh, the event, which turned out to be Hugh Brasher and his fantastic team at London Marathon events, alongside the Vienna Marathon uh, guys, and make sure that the event and engagement side of it didn't encroach onto the performance side, which had been quite easy to do. I mean, putting on an event that size, having the facilities. You know, health and safety. You know, having a, enough enough location for all the TV cameras and crews and hotels. And, and, and I guess marrying the the twin goals of Ineos, which were a yeah. to break the damn thing, yeah, yeah, and b to make a spectacle of doing it. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't. Um, it would have been quite easy to cut corners a little bit and give a little bit on the performance side to achieve the event side. So, um, so essentially the. The name of the game basically was then to break down the performance into okay, what's it going to take to achieve this performance, and um, and then look really closely at the, the the physiology and the physical aspects, and then of course you know getting all the kind of absolute basics right of the getting ready to train and 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 then executing, but then fundamentally where where are all of the other elements which are. What, we, what are you going to do with pacing, pacing strategy? What are you going to do with pacers? What kind of formation would you run? You know, what about the course? What location of course? What climatic conditions do you need? Um, Thermal regulation, and then all things about you know how to get the timing and location and 
and feedback to the timing and how do you judge the pace and any changes to pace, you know, etc., etc., etc. You know, shoes, surface, camber, corners, radii. Every time you're running around a corner, you're losing energy. It's not propelling you forward. It's pushing you sideways. Inclines, declines, mm. and on and on it goes. Basically, so we um, we broke it down to its um, very much into its component parts, and. You know, there's there's a lot of, a lot of people who'd um, been involved in the uh, Nike Breaking Two project, which is a fantastic attempt, I must say. You know, they, they gave it a really good crack, and I guess started that whole kind of. I, I guess that provided the fundamentals. Yeah, for yeah, you. it did. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I don't think that can be. Um, you know, I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they did, and, and I think their, their their attempt was a was a really good one and laid the foundations in many respects because. You know, they did. Um, they chose a course specifically. They looked at the weather conditions. They, you know, they looked at um, aero and they looked at the. Car, you know, they had a car and a pacing, etc., mm. etc. <clears throat> so there's some great learnings from that. Where they obviously fell just short. Yeah. What What were the key differences between the Ineos project and the Nike project that that pushed yours into success? Well, I, I think a couple of things. I think obviously it's a couple of years later. And um, in that period, I think uh, Kipchoge's performances um, grew. So better know. physiology. Well, I, I, well, I think he he'd, um, he was executing better. You know how how much his actual physiology is going to adapt and change. I think we relatively marginal, but nonetheless, I think maybe his efficiency and you know his he's definitely improved the overall his overall performance. I think he did he had his world record in. Um, in Berlin, he'd won, he won London, and, and London was on the, on the rise and as a key kind of stepping stone going into the attempt. <coughs> but I think from our from our experience, you know, we're used to taking, you know, science and technology and and, um, and bringing that very much into human performance and trying to optimise. So um, it gave us the opportunity, really, of sitting back and, and breaking it down. So we looked at the home training environment with Patrick and his team, see if we could support that in any way. Um, with um, with Valentine, and um, and I created a project team. Obviously, so we had a one single kind of collective uh, team with the same mission, very aligned, clear roles. And I took uh, Valentine through, um, and Hugh Brazier as a small sort of senior management team, and that worked. So Hugh overall looked after the event, Valentine overall the performance director, as it were. And then we start to bring together, you know, we did, went through our classic, what, what are the performance questions? And then we like, tried to develop the, the solutions to the questions and then develop, the, you know, the actual practicing and, 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 and developing the performance before we went into execution. And in there you've got, you know, aerodynamics, fueling, weather, um, understanding, you know, the, the nuances of a course. And we had to have some very, very, br- I mean, brilliant um, engineers who... Uh, from motor racing, a uh, company called RML, and they got the wanted electric vehicles with an electric vehicle, and um, they 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 adjusted the um, throttle and speed control of the car um, so that it could it was sensitive to to point um, one of a kilometer an hour change of speed, so it could go twenty point one, twenty point two. Is I mean it's phenomenal uh, what a piece of work that they did, and that the car could um, monitor its position and distance travelled. So it could accurately assess exactly the time and distance travelled and, and its own location on the course as we were executing. So they, from a pacing strategy point of view, that, that could all be managed. We obviously needed time systems, and, and that was um, 
that was really important. Got my timing into to do that, and um, so basically the steps were: we said, okay, let's look at the things that we can't control, and the biggest one of all was the weather. <laughs> so thermoregulation knew that we needed to run between uh, nine and uh, twelve degrees, um, relatively not the humidity, not too high, ideally no rain, uh, no wind. Um, and we wanted to do it in October. Mm-hmm. And um, why did you want to do it in October? I think that was just the time of year that right. it felt that you know the, you had the worlds, and normally okay. you've got you know the, the, a second marathon somewhere for, yeah. for Elliot. So his season's yeah. normally around two two marathons. So we took that second marathon out and put this attempt in. So that was a logical kind of period for it to be done. Yeah. So we got um, we got a guy called Robbie Ketchell, who's um, who I've worked with before, who worked on the project ninety two project, worked with Team Sky actually. And um, brilliant guy. I mean, a brilliant guy. And um, a meteorologist from um, the sailing team, from, so from Ben Ainsley's sailing team. And um, they set about doing um, a scan of the world's weather um, to see where we could potentially get the most predictable um, conditions that we were looking for in at the start of October. Because Jim initially wanted to do it in London, didn't he? And yeah, that was going to be was unrealistic. The initial, for the, well, I think the, the I mean, it, his his the initial aim of the project was to have a London-based event. Yeah. But I think the closer you looked at the courses available, the conditions, the probability of getting the right conditions, the the chances of being able to um, get the the right conditions on the right day, and an, a course which is optimal, was was challenging. Mm. So I think if we came at it from a purely performance-first point of view it seemed maybe a little bit more doable to identify somewhere in the world where we could mm. get the weather and then build the iconic uh, event around it. So we, they, 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 they created this uh, weather chart, as it were. They worked off the last sort of 15 years' worth of weather data and history and, and um, also within three time zones from Kenya, so he didn't have to travel further than three time zones out of Kenya to come to the event. And um, that showed that really in, in mainland, sort of inland Europe, sort of Germany, Austria, around there, that was, that was the most stable um, and had the most highest probability of us getting this envelope of conditions that we were looking for. So we thought, right, mm-hmm. we're going to go in that area and look for a, now, now I'm going to try and look for a, a course. Because when you think about a course, you then, you've got no limitations as such, but we decided to try and stay within the IAAF rules. Uh, so we didn't go for a straight line downhill. With a tailwind, um, we ended up uh, thinking we'd like to go for a, a circuit, um, but a circuit where you only t- turn 360 degrees, so there's no S's, there's no chicanes, where the rotational kind of yeah. the total rotational distance was greater than 360. So um, <coughs> we also knew we found these guys in in, in uh, university in Colorado who who looked at um, running around corners of all things and um, professors of camber. Professors of Cambrian corners and all that kind of stuff, and um, they were fascinating guys. And, and they'd looked at the the impact of um, on speed of running around a corner, and um, and they felt that. So they gave us some recommendations about the smallest. What what's the how small can the radius of a corner be before it starts to really have a detrimental effect on your performances against run, you know benchmark being run in a straight line. Mm-hmm. And um, so we settled on didn't really want to go too much less than 32 meters radius. Um, and anyway, so then we, we, we started to look in Germany and Austria at racetracks and uh, car testing venues and, you know, marathon venues, air, air sites, 
um, you know, all the kind of disused air, airports and landing strips and all this kind of stuff. We're hunting away. And we started to, so in the end, we, we assessed about 29 different courses. But um, we started to rank all these different courses, got out and looked at the surface conditions, looked at the, obviously the, um, the topography, how high they were. We didn't want it to be over a certain altitude, obviously. So we wanted to be, you know, no higher than 200 meters altitude from sea level. Um, and slowly but surely, we narrowed down this kind of long list of, uh, of courses. So we had, um, we had Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a couple of the motor racing circuits and then um, the head of the Berlin Marathon guys mentioned to Hugh that you know have you been over to Vienna and had a look at the Vienna course because they've got Prater Park over there and there's a straight road through the park which would be fantastic for this type of event so you know we were we, we got in touch from an event production perspective as well um, I guess yeah absolutely and, um, and and lo and behold I mean this is kind of how life is isn't it you know the um, the uh, the guy who's the head of uh, Vienna Mar Marathon um, is actually the father of a professional cyclist called Patrick Conrad, who I know, and, and, and so that was like nuts when I met him because it's like we, we took a photo. He said, "I'm just going to send this to my son," and say we're just discussing a new deal. I said, "Who's your son?" And then I put two and two together quickly. Said, oh my God! Well, it's a small world, you know. So um, and they'd actually organised the Road World Championships in Innsbruck. So kind of there's a a great link, connection yeah. there. So we decided, we went to, up to, to Vienna, saw this piece of road, two roundabouts at the end, flat as a pancake, beautiful setting. I mean, beautiful setting, if anybody's ever been there. Not far from the football stadium, in a forest, and you go just straight up and down, there's 4K, just over 4K stretch of road. We thought, right, this is it. And the guys who were the runners, the experienced runners, flew in, had a look, and they go, yeah, we can do it here. So Valentine and Hugh... We're on the ground. Yeah, we can put the event on. Yes, we can do the event. And when is this in the process, um, roughly? Oh, this has got to be in. Because um, it was. I want to say June, July time. You know, quite. Because it was leaving yeah. it late, wasn't it? To find yeah, 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 yeah. We've only had five months to do this yeah. thing, and um, so that was a big. That was a big step, and uh, we'd mapped out a process of how we're going to select the course, and then we sat down with um, with Elliot and and. Um, and Jim and we agreed that we, yep we selected Vienna which is a big step in the project mm -hmm. so once we'd selected it then uh, Robbie and his team did two things really one was they went over and laser kind of surveyed the whole course so that they could try and find the optimal line the optimal running line around this kind of circuit around the around the around the big roundabouts get a four-lane roundabout you just hug the inside or you go wide you go so they looked for the optimal shape which was you know, a work of art in itself. To be fair, um, and at the same time, we looked at the, sur the surface of the of, of it, um, the banking, the cornering, and started to really do our kind of homework on that side of it. And in the meantime, we got uh, our weather uh, expert meteorologist, who it turns out, um, even though he's working for Ben and, and the sailing team, was from Vienna. Mm -hmm. Um, went to university to study meteorology in Vienna and was like an expert in mm. Vienna kind of microclimate so what's the chances of that another you know? sliding door I man. know yeah. I know he's nuts he was nuts and um, anyway the weather stations in Vienna were placed up on the hills at either side of Vienna so they, the guys um, put five five of numerous weather stations actually wind stations and, and weather stations along the course at, at park at ground level so they could um, compare the data that was coming in 
you know, the, the weather data that kept coming in two or three times a day, they could compare that to actually what was going on the, on the actual surface of the course and, and the wind conditions and the microclimate, as it were, um, which was pretty, pretty important because as we were running closer to the events, we knew that we wanted this, you know, 9 to 12 degree window, no wind, no rain. So the, the ability to be able to forecast and predict what was going to happen became increasingly kind of mission critical mm -hmm. to pushing the button saying, right, we're going tomorrow morning at X time. Um, and had you not got a... So you set a provisional date, I guess? Yeah, so we set a provisional date of the 12th. Yeah. Um, and we were working towards the 12th of October, um, which turned out to be the day that we ran on um, in the end. But um, the challenge on the weather side was we wanted... Um, obviously wanted uh, to leave Kenya and he was going to come in seven days early so we had to but seven days out you couldn't accurately say no. on this given you know this time in the morning whether it's going to be the right temperature or not and I guess he needs to taper and yeah. change his diet exactly so seven days out we could see sort of three days where what the likelihood was going to be where the low pressures high pressures were going to be three days out he had to change his diet so that was like a point of no return mm -hmm. So we had to push that, yes, we're going to go. It's like launching a rocket, basically. It's like, yes, we're going to go for it. And so he started changing his diet. So we, we got there. And then, and then right up to the night before, we didn't really know exactly what was going to happen temperature-wise or forecasted temperature-wise and uh, weather-wise until, you know, literally 12, 12, 13, 14 hours before. So we had to wait until the day before to commit to the start time. And... Um, so in the meantime, we set about the course and, um, and we looked at the camber, you know, the, one of the roundabouts had an off camber and we were kind of debating where we're getting all these seconds from, you know, it's like we've got to find these 25 seconds and we counted, what we're losing, you know, this, this off camber's costing us this, it's, what? so we decided to um, rebank and uh, got the contractors in and yep. we rebanked the, the, the roundabout so it gave us um, a 1% camber. Actually. With the city of Vienna's permission. Well, absolutely, they were all in. I mean, the mayor, one of the great things about Vienna was that the, when, we, when we asked them and put it to them, they were absolutely all in. The mayor was brilliant, wrote a, a nice email, a nice letter to, to Jim and saying, you know, we're all in, we've got a rich history of running and we want to be the city where this happens. So that was very embracing and I think that emotionally that was a very positive, it felt mm. like we were all in it together. And they really went, you know, they, they resurfaced the different areas of the, of the course. And, and then we realised there was a bridge that started, you know, in London, uh, in the Vienna Marathon. They run over the Danube and over the Danube Bridge. You know, you think actually you could start on top of the bridge and it comes down onto the course. So you get that first case slightly downhill. Should we do that? Yeah, we can do that. We'll close the traffic for you. And it was, um, it was a huge, you know, huge support from, the, um, from, from Vienna, really. And everyone turned out as well, all, all the, all the... Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. So we, we, would, we were a bit worried. We are thinking, yeah, because people are running up and down here. I mean, it's a brilliant, I mean, it's a brilliant, active, vibrant part of the city. So you think, surely people are going to come out. You know, we start to promote it and yeah. engagement. And then we started to look at the temperature gradients. And, and then it kind of looked at some points that we thought, God, we're going to be going at half past five in the morning here to get the right temperature because it's getting hotter mm. as, the, as the sun comes through. Um, and then that was a bit of a worry, obviously. And then, and then it kind of went more towards a sort of half seven. And, and obviously, from an event point of view and an engagement point of view, maybe later would have been better, you know, to get crowds there. So there was a, a, a real... First, uh, compromise was struck? 
I think I think a happy um, a happy solution was found somewhere in the middle, really. And, Wouldn't you know, have been quite so happy if you hadn't made it, I guess. No, I guess so. Mm. I guess so. But I mean, it's always you know it's always dials. You know, on the one hand, that, that's life's about, isn't it? You know, decision making isn't binary. It's always a question of you dial the engagement up, you might be dialing your performance down, you dial your performance up, you dial in your engagement down. So somewhere in the middle, somebody has to know or What's take the decision. Yeah. yeah, and that's what we do, isn't yeah. it? You know, I think high performance is very much about those dials yeah. all the time. I speak quite often about to our guys about the dials, actually. Anyway, so we, um, <coughs> so we, we got the cars there, um, we got the formation, we, so we went into obviously look at the formation, and we went to this V formation, which was a new yes. formation. Tell us about um, this. So, yeah, so sure. there's a there's a so it's Elliot and how many support runners with him? Uh, well, in all, there was him, yeah. and in front of him, he had a team captain yeah. right directly in front of him, and then he had a V shape either side yeah. of runners formation and two behind. And um, we found in the, uh, we did some wind tunnel testing. Obviously, we do a lot of wind tunnel testing and aerodynamics, big part of our sport uh, in cycling. Mm. And, uh, and we found actually that um, running the, the kind of the air, that formation channeled the air onto the middle guy. That, that um, he took quite a lot of air and it made the running uh, conditions right behind him um, pretty good, actually. Yeah. So uh, there was a pocket there for, for Elliot to run in. And, um, and we went with that and I think the to be to be fair I think when the the runners you know the running fraternity with our guys saw that for you know they, they well, I'm not sure does it look natural not not sure whether this is going to work or not but um, in the end they were they were open-minded and gave it a go and really bought into it to be fair but then we had to practice the changes and get the changes right and coming in and out would, would leave Kipchoge a bit Exposed for a certain time, so I had to think about the, all the aerodynamics of that. And um, so, anyway, we decided on the V formation. We, we got up to nearly 40 paces um, to come in and support world class paces. I mean, world class paces who normally run for themselves individually. And here they are all coming together to run as a team in a team environment. And I think that's one of the greatest kind of parts of the project, really, how everybody came together the staff, the team, the paces, everybody pulled together into this really tight kind of one team scenario and everyone well, enjoyed it. You know? this is, I wanted to ask you about this because that's your job. As the mm. C- if you've got one job as the CEO of a mm. project like this, mm. it's getting everyone pulling in the same direction. Yeah. How do you do that with a group of disparate people in an individualistic sport running this one-off event? Often people just, I yeah. guess, working part time or certainly working yeah. kind of different, different short term contracts. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. All, hundreds of people, I guess, yeah. in, in in total. You're at the top of it all. How how do you bring them all together? Well, I think the first thing to do is to, to is to acknowledge. So we've got everybody together. Said, so, right, you know, look, everybody, we're here for a certain amount of time. There's a start. There's a warming up. There's getting. We're going to perform, and then there's an end, and we're all going to go our different ways. So for a small period of time here. We're all going to be absolutely in this together, and I talked to them um, about the, you know, there's like if, if we're all individual threads at the minute doing our own thing, and everybody's there because of their expertise. And there's a lot of people in the end. There's like hundred odd people, um, but when you think about it, having a load of threads, you know, you just break them very, very easily. You 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 bind that into a rope, and you're not going to break that rope. So I talked a lot at the start. Said right, we're all individual threads. How do we become a rope quickly? That's not going to happen. It requires effort. So you, you either engage with making. We all got to engage with making this happen, or 
it's simply we, we, we won't be optimal. And just hoping that it might happen somehow, by osmosis or something, or being around, isn't good enough. We've got to make it happen. So what does making it happen look like? So talk to the person next to you pretty quickly. Talk to people. Say hello to people. Ask people where they're from. What are you doing? Communicate. Like, like a hyper level of communication for a short period of time is what this is going to take. We're very clear about the mission. It's to get, to get one person to break this record. But we're all involved. So it's not one person delivering. It's like the man on the moon cleaning the toilet and putting somebody on the moon scenario. That's, it's exactly that, you know. And so we are all here to try and make history, although the person will make history is, is independent. We're all here supporting that. So clarity, then clarity of where my job starts. And I think when you get new people, it's very, very easy. Something comes at you and they're very proactive people and you think, I can sort that out. Off you go and you go and sort it out quickly. And, and you know, you might be treading into somebody else's area. And I think in that type of scenario, knowing what is yours and what isn't yours, and knowing who to take that problem to and having the diligence to take it to the person to solve it and helping them solve it maybe is much more important than quickly trying to sort it it yourself. Um, So all the basic building blocks of good project management really, um, clarity, fundamental, so I went through a list of these, these, here's a checklist of what you should be able to do and check off in order to be able to optimise your your performance. So you should be able to know exactly what's expected of you, uh, have a real clear kind of role uh, description, have the tools to do your job, you've got a plan, you believe in a plan, you know where to go to for help, etc. And if you can't check these things off, and you've got, you've got an issue, you've got to hold your hand up and go and find out. So yeah. I can't come and check for you, so you have to come and talk to us about that. Yeah. So we got into that and did all the basic, simple kind of but important things about communicating and, and then getting people to recognise becoming a team is an effort. And working as a group of individuals wasn't going to wash in this kind of thing. And so we set that and, and that started to... Sorry to interrupt. You said yesterday something that I thought was really powerful and I noticed everyone writing it down. Yeah. So it was confirmed to me that it was powerful. <laughs> you said one of the things you did at the very early stages, I can't remember whether it was everyone as a group or one by one as people were brought onto the project... You set out that, here's the mission, it's quite straightforward, here, as mm. you just sort of detailed, here's the checklist, but you made them, one by one, explain yeah, what explain. their personal connection... Yeah, how it connected to their own... And you said, you know, yeah. yours was very clear, yeah, but, so but you didn't expect everyone to have the same personal So I think connection. there's a, it seems to me, when you have a mission or you, whatever it's going to do, there's, you can go and do it, because that's what you're supposed to do, or you can genuinely be connected to it, and you can think, if you stop and pause... And if you, if you can link a thread from your heart, like emotionally, from your heart to that project, and you can frame that, then you're way more engaged. And then it's then how brave are you in terms of being all in or not, you know? So my challenge was, actually, if you take that, how is each individual, we did it over here in London, actually, um, how are you connected to this project? And for me, so as an example, I've always liked the idea of, of, of doing something maybe just you know, having uh, looking at another sport and doing something in a different sport, although I still want to do my cycling. This gave me that opportunity. I like the idea of doing something for a first in human, like a record rather than just a world racing. First. A world yeah, first, yeah. yeah. And those two things um, connected me to this project in a way where I thought, actually, emotionally, that's how I'm connected to this. I'm, I'm happy to share that with everybody, and I'm investing, I'm all in. I'm all in. Because that's, that's what's really tying me in. I'm not just trying to help it because I've been asked to. Mm. 
and people went, we were in a room and people did the same and it was fascinating actually mm. the, the connection people had and everybody's was different but everybody was connected it meant a lot to people and I think once that was out there was a collective commitment team. that's a sense of team as well yeah that's, sense of team yeah. Yeah. Bring, and I think they're the, the basic things you know if you can bring a team together if you can recognise that you know individual performance comes off the back of really collaborating and you can see that it is worth collaborating so I can get this performance then you're in business really We've gone here, there, and everywhere, and it's been fascinating. But I want to. So I think on your journey towards the race, you'd said you were kind of twelve hours out. Um, yeah. You had the toing and throwing on the start time. Yeah. Five thirty would have pretty much guaranteed the it, within the yeah, temperature think, boundaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. pushing it up so that it was a bit more of an event and finding the right balance with the dials. We get to the event itself, the ramp. They off they go. Yeah. And now we're into execution. Yes. How does that go? Well, that was interesting. I mean, um, I think had they had the way, I think the I think the the, the pure performance guide would have started maybe half seven-ish, and um, the engagement side would have maybe started later. And we ha- we met that happy. I mean, it was it was the right decision in the end. I think it was it was a good decision actually. Um, but once the race started, off we went. I mean, obviously we were getting timings and splits. And where are you and, for the race? I mean, we we had a an operation centre, uh, mission control, uh, big kind of pod, POC, sorry, and there's probably 25 people in there, so the timing people, uh, car, data, um, analyst, pace setting, um, Yoss was in there, um, the laser guys, and, and, and there's the police, and, and there's, yeah. you know, there's everybody's in there basically. And I was sitting there with my little pen. Going, okay, here we go. <laughs> with your clipboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so if, um, for example, you know, everybody had the, it was broken down. It was well, very well done. I mean, the London Marathon events and Hugh Brace and his team, fantastic. So the event side, well, pretty confident with those guys, and um, they were, they, they, yeah, they were, they did a really good job. Um, so, but we were all in there. And of course, the first question is if we have a, a false start or we get, you know, how long do we run before we say stop and go back to the start again? And that was a, hmm, okay, well, we need to think that from a physiology point of view and an event point of view and television and all the rest of it. So that was a bit edgy in terms of thinking if that does happen and having to make that call was going to be a tricky one. But once we started, we recognised the, the first K was okay and then it went 240, the pace was meant to be 250 pace. But the first kind of came, came up on the screens and all the data is 248 and the next one was 252 and then back to 248. So they've gone too fast, they're yeah, too, too fast, too slow and, and, and there was a little... Oh, and they shouldn't have done because the car yeah, is very yeah, precise, yeah, as you yeah, said, yeah, there's yeah, lasers. Yeah, yeah. And then they're precise as yeah. runners, you know, yeah. so you think, okay, something right, is something, you know, is, is this right? And Tim Kerrison, who obviously works alongside me in the, in the cycling team brilliant guy and he was he was sitting and Tim got all the pacing strategies and all the number and all the data and he was in communication with the Valentine was on the bike on the ground next to it and next to Tim there was Chris who was the uh, from the from RML and he was also processing the data and spe- he was on radio so the guys in a car mm-hmm. who was setting the pace so we had this link communications link and after a bit of, you know, Tim put his head down and started tapping furiously at his... Uh, Crunching his the numbers. Crunches the numbers. And he said, he, and he pulled his headphones to one side and said, the, the time is wrong. And that was like, wow, OK. Um, and he said, look, the, the timing's on the screens. For whatever reason, it, it, that's two seconds fast, that's two seconds slow. It's like, you don't go off that. 
we're going to have to go off our own time and, and work independently. And that's a big call because the car would correct. Mm-hmm. It would slow down or speed itself up according to the time. And if they were on, the whole thing would have been mm-hmm. out of sync. So it's like, Tim, are you sure? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm confident. And it was like one of those kind of calm, firm, big kind of calls. And we said, OK, OK, guys, we're not working on the uh, broadcast times that we're seeing here. We're working off our own secondary times and we're going to run with that and the car times stopwatches yeah pretty well manual timing as you're going to cross the markers and we had our own backup systems etc and it wasn't that the overall time was a problem it was the splits splits that were slightly out and and we found in the end there was a bit of faulty hardware in one of the uh, in one of the timing units that was connected to all the timing units came to a central hub yeah. and there were six or seven of these central hubs which ran the various different times and one of them was, was slightly wrong right. and it was throwing the numbers so every time yeah, it went it's like a little way. hardware yeah. problem okay. so it wasn't actually that they were going at the wrong pace it was, it was just it was um, giving us yeah. the wrong timing so so if you hadn't switched if you hadn't made that call the, yeah, car, would have been, the car would have constantly been correcting itself yeah yeah. had, had it run with that the car would have gone I'm two seconds too fast and then I'm two seconds too slow so I'm going to slow down yeah. when it wasn't and then I'm two seconds too slow and I'm going to speed up again and that the okay. way it speeded up we had a rate limiter in terms of how fast the car would change pace because you didn't want it like surges mm. so it had gone slowly it had gone and gained it and kept on going and then settled back down to the pace once it gathered its, its time necessary to get back all the other way around and that would have been it had a floor the event basically I think that would have been um, terminal yeah. <laughs> so well done, Tim Kerrison and the gang on and, that and, one, I think. And so you, you did it, and, and Elliot Kipchoge did it, yeah. and a huge sense of achievement, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what did that feel like for you, a man who's masterminded many a Tour de France uh, win, and you've had some glorious moments across your kind of yeah, it was, it was, coaching um, career? What does that... Well, I think the other thing I should say in this one is in, in, on the 20th of August, right in the middle of it, I uh, obviously I found out I got cancer this mm. year, so I'd have a like, pretty serious surgery on the 20th of August and so in for, for the period that I had that was like three and three three weeks and, and also whilst I was in the tour I decided to ask um, Fran Miller to step in as the deputy CEO and oversee uh, the project so um, you know on, on alongside on my behalf for that period and to be fair she stepped in and, and she absolutely nailed it she did a brilliant job stepped up and um, and so I think she also deserves a lot of credit from from this. But overall, I mean, it was um, it was really really rewarding uh, to be part of a project that. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but it was a real team effort. And I know there was one individual at the end, but all that you could see how the pacers celebrated afterwards. Yeah. You know, it was a huge team, a great from. You know, in order to do these great sporting moments, somebody's got to give you the opportunity to do it, which is what Jim and his team had the vision to be able to say, yeah, we'll do it, we'll fund it, we'll back Worth it. Worth saying, it's almost money now object uh, for you. Um, it was, yeah. I mean, it was incredible yeah. what he did. Yeah. I mean, he deserves so much credit out of it. And it's like the, that sort of level of ambition is, 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 is huge, really. And, and so you can't, you can't go and create something without being the, given the opportunity or the platform to, to be created on. Mm. And so they, they, I mean, huge amount of credit to them. 
but it generally did feel like a, a like you're part of something, and that's nice. We all like to feel part of a tribe or belong to something, and and so that was a there was a real sense of achievement in that. And, and we put, I mean, there was some, we did it all in five months, and and at times, you know, there were sleepless nights and worry, and the, you know, we had a, our 159 calls on a Monday. And a daily call for I love these 159 calls. Everyone's uh, uh, people are always late for a conference call, don't yeah, so yeah, yeah, starting yeah. at 159. I imagine people are clocking yeah, in at yeah, 203 or whatever. No, no, no. In, in, to be fair, in the main, we had a couple, it was quite funny, but in the main, we had the every Monday 159 yeah. team wide conference call, yeah. and, um, and we stuck to that pretty religiously. Um, but I think all in, I mean, from the event point of view, they did a brilliant job, fantastic crowds, it was well broadcast. The event, you know, went without a glitch, and um. You know, great job by it. was great to get to work and get to know mm. the London Marathon guys, a fantastic organisation. Um, Valentine True and Yoss and his team were brilliant. You know, the uh, so so the engagement team were fantastic. It was just it was just great fun to get to know the motorsport guys and work with all of them. So it's a great sense of satisfaction. And uh, people people enjoyed it, didn't oh, they? Oh, it was amazing. I've never, I mean, and a totally different feel. As a, a mm. Totally as a sort of outsider, as a um, just a watcher of it. Uh, a completely different feel to the Nike attempt, which felt surgical and detached and um, really publicity-driven. Yeah. But this one felt felt like a team effort. It felt mm. like part of a mm. communal. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. just my perspective. I guess the event aspect of it was was. I, th- uh, was I think um, you know I've got a lot of respect for the. Um, I thought personally, on a, you know, from a performance point of view, certainly I thought the. Uh, the guys who, who put the attempt together for Nike did a blood, you know, mm. they had a good, they had a good crack, you mm. know, set the tone, and you've got to admire, respect and admire mm. them for, for what they did there, I think, and I think then we just had the benefits of that, and and the time and the resource, and brought a, you know, a little bit more, um, I don't know, maybe a bit more rounded kind of experience of performance and, and the actual the, the second man the in event. the door, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think the, um, you know, we race. We, one, the one thing we do. Um, as a cycling team, we race more than we train. We race every day nearly. We're racing, racing, racing. So when you've got to go into an environment and race and perform, uh, you know, it becomes, it's not such a, it's not like the Olympic program where what you do it once every four years or it's a one off, you know. It's, um, mm. So maybe we've got a little bit of that philosophy and uh, performance philosophy to it. And we know our, you know, we know our, we know our sports science, but we know how to make it practical and deliver it into a, into a performance, not just have it as a mm. theoretical kind of area. But the, um, we got a lot of support from the, the, the Nike guys and, and credit to mm. them. They, 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 I think they deserve well, a lot of credit from them. And the they front. were a big part of it as well. You they know, were, with yeah. The, with, these, with these shoes. Yeah, which yeah. I've got two final questions. Yeah. One is about the future of running, the future of marathon yeah. running. And the second is about the future of Sir Dave Browsford. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> a lot of people, they're, they're, you've said already that you tried as much as possible to stick to the IAAF rules, but there are a couple of key yeah, ones yeah. that you had to Absolutely, break. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, but given that, so but would these shoes be allowed? They are going to be allowed. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, so it was no stationary feed. Correct. Yeah. It's so we did. We so st- delivered from a bike. Delivered right, from yeah. a bike. Uh, and the other rule. The paces. The paces. Yeah. So we changed the paces. They swapped in and out, which obviously can't do in a, yeah. in a race. So bearing those two major things in mind, and obviously all the effort and thought um, and execution that went into the whole thing, do you think that a um, an in-race sub-two-hour marathon is around the corner. Uh, not imminently, I don't think. I think it's um, it will happen, obviously. 
Um, but I think the uh, unless it depends how it's run. I mean, if it will run in, in, with with that in mind, who knows? But um, it certainly can be done. You know, that's that's clear. It can be done. Um, but I think in a, in an actual race, you know, you're competing against one another. You're going to put me off my stride, or mm. maybe I'm holding back. You know, you've got tactics in a race, which yeah. um, which are different from a, an event like this, which was get on pace and, and run to it's time to exhaustion basically. And um, it wasn't it, it, you're not competing, so that that whole element of it would have to be synchronised totally in order for for the sub two hours to be ha- to happen in race. But look, it'll happen one day for sure. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure of it. So. Uh, but when let's um, you know we'd have to wait and see I guess and, and as, as far as you're concerned obviously now part of the INEOS yeah. project you're still very passionate about cycling you're yeah, very, sticking yeah. with the team um, but this project has kind of raised the I guess the, the potential for you to be taking your brand of uh, performance expertise on a, a kind of global tour of of events, I guess. I mean, what do you? And, and Jim is expanding the portfolio as well. You know, you obviously you've got the the football team, uh, two football teams, yeah. Uh, yeah. the sailing team, um, other things potentially to come. Yeah. What would you like to be doing? Um, well, I think very much like P8. I think the the huge opportunity in Ineos at the moment is, as the teams, you know, more teams come on board and get settled in, as it were. Then um, it's pretty clear that um, we're, uh, you know, I think Jim describes as a federation of teams rather than a single family of, you know, single kind of entity. There's no head office and all this kind of stuff. On the other hand, there's definitely areas of uh, expertise um, where we can cross pollinate. So I think it's then up to us as individuals to get together and recognise. You know, we we took, for example, the weather. The weather guys came from um, from the sailing team, yeah. and, and and Joe Grinley, the engagement side, came from the sailing team into the 159 project. Tim came from the cycling team. Frank came from the cycling team. It was um, it was really it was it was fun to do that. But I think in terms of you know my responsibility is to deliver the performance in a cycling environment. But given the engineering prowess in 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 Ben's team and the CFD and the, Aerodynamics, understanding, etc. You know, there's certain, you know, the knowledge of data and how they use that. That's 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 above where we're at at the minute. So we can we can tap into that. And of course, in the on the football side, there'll be areas like rehab and medicine, and nutrition and strength and conditioning, all the usual kind of stuff. Where you think actually, maybe we could um, optimize what we're doing um, collectively together there. So I think it's very much, um, you know, it's, we're start we're finding our feet as a minute. I'd say and we're, we're just starting that process. And, but but if um, if we can optimise, then um, I think that'd be a hugely exciting kind of place to be, and one I look forward to uh, engaging with. So, Dave Bellsford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.